So when you start a small business, which roles do you have to perform? Are you human resources? Are you website development? Are you marketing? Are you sales? Are you the chief financial officer? Are you the chief technology officer? Are you customer service? Are you product delivery? And you're doing all of those things. And sometimes in your spare time around a job, around a family, how do you get all of that done? I mean, the ability to get things done quickly is what separates a successful startup, a successful entrepreneur, someone who's building a side hustle or a business from the people that flounder around for months, sometimes years, not making progress. And I am so excited to share today's episode with you where we have David Allen from Getting Things Done on the show. So welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. The extraordinary belongs to those that created. Rebelling against business plans and debt Rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun, and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for the invitation, Alan. Delighted to be here. I'm so excited to be here that you're here and... Yeah, I, I can't even get my words out. That tells you that I must enjoy your work because normally I don't fluff my words when I start a podcast. But <laughs> your work has had an incredible impact on my wife, Katie, and my life over the years. And I'm so excited to have you on the show and share that with other people. So thank you for writing, getting things done, for the courses, for everything you create. Well, thank you for playing the game. I defined the game. I didn't play it. So <laughs> you and Katie get the kudos. You, you recognized it and you played it, but that's where the, the juice is in all this. I love that. And that's where we're going to start. But before we start on that question, let's also introduce Peter Gallant. Peter, thank you for coming back on the show. How are you today? I'm fantastic, Alan. Thank you. And Peter teaches entrepreneurship. He's a listener to the show and he's been teaching the, some of the getting things done methodology in different ways over the years. So we're very lucky to have Peter with us on this show as well. So you said about defining the game and playing the game, David. I'm really interested in that because you're right. We do play a game. What did you mean by defining and playing? Well, my third book was called Making It All Work winning at the game of business and the, and the, the work of life. And basically it's all the same thing. It's all work. It's all stuff to do. And you know, what I just uncovered was how do we manage the velocity, the volume, the input, the quality of the things we all have to deal with these days, which is much more than most people realize in terms of what they've committed to, how they've engaged their energy. And the problem is they're taking up huge cognitive real estate inappropriately. That's in not available for strategic, intuitive, creative thinking, which this audience that you have, you know, need to be ripe for. So, you know, a lot of what I figured out was how do you create the clear space so you can do that? Yes. So you could understand it. You could read my book, Getting Things Done, the sort of flagship book that I did, especially the new edition, and understand. You go, oh, that makes total sense. Oh, I sort of do that. I, yeah, I kind of do that too. But unless you actually sit down and do that, all you do is like, well, Somebody could tell you that chocolate is tasty, but until you actually taste chocolate, you have no idea what they're talking about. So in the same way, I can tell you that it's very simple. If you want a clear head, just capture stuff that has your attention, clarify what it means, park the results in some trusted external system that you review and reflect on on some consistent basis, along with all your commitments at multiple levels so you feel comfortable about what you do. 
So there's the 20 seconds. I'll apologize right now, Alan. I'm not going to tell anybody anything other than what I just said in 20 seconds. <laughs> so you, you can add you can add water to that freeze dried component, you know, if if you want. But that's basically it. Everybody does a little bit of that. Very few people really do that. And when you really do that, and that means you actually have to engage with it, not just understand it, not just think that's a cool idea, but actually do it. Once you start to do that, it turns this thing into a much more of an inner process and you know, I hate to say this, but, you know, a whole lot of people just call this absolutely life transforming when they actually do that. So there's my short, long answer <laughs> to what you just addressed. No, I, I love it. It makes complete sense to me. And I think some of the most powerful systems and processes in the world are the simplest ones. But that doesn't mean it's not difficult to make it happen or not hard work or not effort to make it happen. And I've got an entrepreneur that I'm working with now in the coaching series we do on the podcast. And one of the biggest challenges, she's launching a Kickstarter to launch her first comic book and put it out there. And she has so much to do. And the biggest challenge is the overwhelm. And I've watched her create lists and do this and then become overwhelmed again and then get it out of her head again and feel better. And then they seem to go through this process of get it out, feel good. It all goes back inside to your head and then you feel overwhelmed and then you get it out. And it seems to be a repeating process that happens. Is that normal? It is normal until you reach a certain point with your experience with this methodology. And whether you and or Katie have reached that point, up until a certain point, life will throw you off this game. After that point, life throws you onto this game. In other words, wow, oh my God, pandemic. I now have to work from home. Oh shit, now I got, what do I do with all that? And the kids are going to be home and I don't have commute time to be able to think. And oh, but I have the right desk, but how do I set up and how do I, you know, yada, yada. And so when that happens, either that throws you off your personal systems, your personal self-management rigor, or it throws you onto it called, oh Jesus, I now need to sit down, empty my head about the new stuff that's happened decide what to do about that, create a whole new project called Get Home Office Now on Cruise Control, et cetera. But it takes, I would say, anywhere from two months to two years of somebody really instituting this methodology before they reach that turning point where when surprise and change happens, that's when you use this methodology. That's actually what it was designed for, is to allow you to deal with surprise, deal with change, deal with the starting entrepreneur, the 65 hats they have to wear. It's like when you deal with that, that's when this becomes absolutely the most critical because the most critical thing is that you stop tree hugging and forest manage. In other words, you, <laughs> you let go of the tree and go up in the fire tower. <laughs> now, we all hug trees. Come on, you and I and, and Peter, we're all doing this right now. We're down in the weeds doing a thing. We're doing a podcast, right? But at some point when I stop doing this, at some point I need to lift up and look around and go, okay, what now what's next? And I need to trust that vision and that view and that gestalt so that I make a good trusted choice about what I do next. And also made it made a trusted choice that this was the thing to do. So I could be present with this and not be distracted. I'm very glad you did choose that this was the right thing to do. <laughs> I'm very glad you did come on the podcast. Well, we'll, we'll find out. I, I may have made a yeah. bad choice, you know, we'll live and learn, you know, but from the best I could figure, this is probably the best thing to do. So how do you make those choices? Do you make a very top level decision of here's where I'm going? And then you fit in the day-to-day -day activities or where do you start? Do you start at the weeds? Where would you start? On some level of recursion, yes. At the basic operational level of life, you don't have time to think, Alan. You need to have already thought. Hmm. You don't have time to think. 
when you get off with me, you don't have time to think about your life purpose and your vision of where you're going and your goals. And I, come on, <laughs> you've got 65 emails that have piled up while you're talking to me. And you're going to have to make some quick decision about which one of those, is that just a fun one? Is that just spam? I can delete real fast. Is that one? Is that an agonizing one? I'm going to have to sit down and figure out 15 minutes about how to actually respond to this person because they're so sensitive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's not the time you think about your life purpose. You need to have already thought about it enough so that you've galvanized your sort of intuitive, hardwired intelligence to be able to make quick choices and trust those. But you can't go too long without going back up to some higher horizon. See, Alan, I'm sure if you or Peter and I, have, if we've looked at our calendar at all, we did a little bit of reflect and engage and lift up a little bit to kind of locate ourselves in space and time. So we know, we know right now we're not missing anything critical, you know, unless you are, <laughs> but probably not. <laughs> you know, and you also have a sense of the rest of the today and the rest of tomorrow. You're kind of okay, and I know what my hard landscape is. And that is that kind of review. But you could also take that up to why am I on the planet? Why am I married to Katie? What's our life and career going to look like five years from now? You know, what do we need to accomplish by the end of 2021 to make all that happen? And by the way, what are all the things we need to maintain in terms of our dog, our humor, our finances, our health? <laughs> so, you know, I'd love to have got it any simpler than I did, but I just located the six horizons of commitments that you have that ideally are lined up. But you don't have time to sit there and think through all that stuff and line it up on a day-to-day -day basis. You just need to do those as often as you need to do those, you know, so that some part of you feels comfortable operationally with this just, you know, intuitive choices you're making kind of day-to-day, hour-to-hour. Yes. And Katie and I tend to do that once a year. We have a big sort of end the new year. It's just a random time. But in the new year, we sit down, we think about all those things. What do we want to do? What do we want to achieve? Why are we here? And we kind of line all of those up. So, David, you said it could take two months to two years to get this system installed. So you start to do it regularly and it feels like the natural thing to do. But why would an entrepreneur spend that amount of time working on this to get to a system? Like, I'm busy. I've got stuff to do. Why do I want to invest in that? <laughs> it's actually applying this to your business right now that will get you there. This is not mm. offline stuff. This is not something to go take a class about that you might want to use at some point. This is like right now, because if you implement GTD right now, people often ask, how long does it take to get value out of implementing this? I say, well, how long would it take you to jot down the 10 things that most have your attention right now, decide the next action on each one of those, and then watch how you feel? Mm. You're going to start to feel this in two minutes. How long would it take you before that's habitual? that you never let that stuff get back up to where you held those things in your head, where you're constantly keeping those things externalized. That's what I'm talking about in terms of the habits of making sure that this process, you know, is, as you say, natural, and you, you, you can't remember when you didn't do it. You know, so there's a big difference. It's, it's not like you'd have to wait long <laughs> to get the value out of this. Yeah. And it was, it was in the midst of the entrepreneurial game that I actually found and adopted GTD myself back in 2003. When you have an overwhelming number of things to do, you start to realize that staying in that state of overwhelm isn't going to help you. And what attracted me to the original Getting Things Done book was found it in a bookstore, opened the front cover, and the first sentence got me. It's possible for a person to have an overwhelming number of things to do and still function productively with a clear head and a positive sense of relaxed control. I mean, that's what you need to do as an entrepreneur to manage yourself going forward if you want to have any chance of managing your business effectively. I love that, Peter. So when you first found it, Peter, 
did it just fall into place? Did you have to work to make this thing happen? What was your experience of getting into the getting things done methodology? Yeah, well, I think the first thing, back in 2003, I, I read the book, but I didn't get it. And I read the book and I, I got the parts that were the nuts and bolts. So capturing next actions and capturing projects. But what I really didn't appreciate was when you start to clear off the decks of all of that stuff that's in your face and in your head, once you start to clear that off, that's when the real value of the methodology appears and, and happens, right? Now you've got a clear head. Now you can start making strategic decisions about doing this or this. You start integrating you're starting to manage your personal life and your work life in a much more consistent way, you start to relax and opportunities start to appear that you can actually take action on that, that before you couldn't. So it just frees you up to operate at a higher level. And it, it takes a while to realize that. As David said, this stuff isn't free, but when you implement it, it has some tremendous benefits in the long term. Yes. And by the way, guys, I hate the word discipline. I'm the laziest guy you ever met. Discipline sounds to be like sweat, work harder, longer. Oh, gag me. You know, get out of here. I like the word direction. I need to direct myself to this kind of thinking about the email. I need to direct myself to this kind of thinking about, should I go to the bank for a you know, line of equity increase? I need to direct myself appropriately. See, my mission career-wise and, and professionally is to create a world where, where problems are perceived as projects. Now, that's a very pregnant statement if you think about that. You know, a new startup, I got problems. I got this problem with the bank. I got this problem with my finances. I got this problem with my investors. I got this problem with my tech. You know, yeah, understood. Those are things that have your attention. So what's the project? What do you want to have true about the bank? What do you want to have true about the tech? What do you want to have true about your life? You know, so shifting people's mindset, and that's the subtle and sublime aspect of GDD. And I think Peter could probably attest to that. He just sort of gave you an idea of what that's like. It's like once you start to get in the driver's seat, it doesn't make life fun. It makes it manageable and it makes it engaging in a way that you're in the driver's seat. That's actually the most fun. You actually have the most fun when you're addressing a challenge appropriately. You know, the flow guy, the guy who wrote about, you know, chick sitting behind, you know, I'm sorry. That's when you're really in your zone. You're stepping up to a big challenge, but you're engaging with it appropriately. So what I just figured out, what's the algorithm about appropriate engagement? That's all. Not about working harder. Yeah, and it keeps you from getting defunctionalized by all the problems that come up in the, in your entrepreneurial world, right? You're always going to have challenges. And as you said, David, they become projects. And by thinking of them as projects and problems to solve, you stop getting wrapped up in them and you stop getting overwhelmed by them. You just deal with them. Yeah. And you actually use that psychological energy that you were, you know, as part of your obvious DNA for entrepreneurs or potential entrepreneurs is problem solving, right? But it's actually project completion, project identifying and project completion. That's where you need to shift that DNA to take that energy field and put it to those things, not reactive, victimizing, complaining. One of the things that always makes me smile is the fact that there's only one group of people in society that don't have problems and they tend to live in the graveyard. If you're alive, you've got problems. And those problems, if you look at them as projects and something to work on, to get to a better state, it makes it a lot easier. So I think for everyone listening, if you've got problems with your business and what's going on, like that's normal. It's just how to get over them and just how to work on them. <laughs> well, Alan, let me give you my best analogy for that, that I use all the time. I say, well, there's one organization that never has fires and crises. Who's that? The fire department. 
<laughs> They're not fires and crises. That's their job, right? Yes. And by the way, 95% of their alarms are false. Talk about a reason to be pissed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that alarm happens, they don't go, oh, God, it's probably not real. Forget it. You know, They don't do that. They go, oh, my God, that's a potential thing that we need to address and deal with. And what do they do? Next step, next step, next action, next action. Let's get this thing resolved, handled, you know, put to sleep fast. And that's what they do. And then when they're not doing that in sort of an immediate demand, what are they doing? Getting ready for the next one, right? Preparing, training, getting ready. Oh, come on. In, in, in London, I mean, when they, they got three fires that suddenly show up at one time at three different locations. They don't finish what they're doing in lo one location. You just throw the stuff back in and hope it works on the next one. No, fold, fold, fold. Get that back. Get that back where it needs to go. Let's go to address the next thing or go to the French chefs. You know, I love the kitchen analogies because everybody's got some sort of cooking area that's been out of control and everybody tries to get it together so they can, you know, at least eat lunch or have a nice dinner with their friends or, you know, cook a nice dinner for their family. But they all go through the methodology that I identified in GTD. They identify what's off, they capture it, they clarify it, they organize it, they then reflect on the game, and then they pull out butter and melt it. And the French chefs, mise en place. Hey, before the, it's going to get crazy here, guys, when the bell rings. And when it gets crazy, mm. I want everything in its place. Every pot, every pan, every equipment, every piece of food, everything had better be ready because it's going to get nuts. And it will. And so, you know, as I say, you're most creative when you have the freedom to make a mess. So you entrepreneurs, potential entrepreneurs, listen to that. You're most creative when you have the freedom to make a mess. However, if you're in a mess, you can't make one. So the whole idea is keep things as clean as possible, as small a backlog as possible of all the stuff you're committed to so that you're appropriately engaged with them so they're not distracting you or taking up cognitive real estate that's in not available to do the cool thinking you need to do, right? And by the way, I have to say, just because, Peter, you're on this call, Peter years ago told me something that I have used ever since then, since back then he was very much involved in the VC world and sort of educated me a lot about that. And he said, you know, VCs are looking for three things, you know, in a startup. A, do you have capital? B, do you have IP protection? And C, can you execute? And he said, number C, execute is where most of them fall down. And I think, you know, you guys could probably agree. Or, I don't know, Peter, if you've changed your mind about that, but I think that's probably the no. key. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> execution has been and will remain the biggest risk in a startup and it was, yeah, we talked about that years ago. In fact, the last podcast I was on with you, David, was in 2006. Oh, my God. <laughs> on the GTD Connect podcast. That was number two of GTD Connect. And we even talked back then. Now, of course, I was in it in the midst of it. And I was, was running into to my own execution challenges that GTD was helping me through. But for every entrepreneur that I've worked with or have the, encountered or done some coaching with, the consistent thing is, is that person executing? Are they getting the right things done that have to get done to move the ball down the field? And if they're not executing, then it's real hard for the business to end up in a, in a successful place. And so back to uh, originally, Alan, your, your, your sort of trigger question about all this called, does it take that long to really get this? No, it doesn't. It takes as long as it takes to go, well, wait a minute, what's got your attention right now? Write it down. Okay, great. What's your next action on that? <sighs> I guess I need to send this email or I need to check with my life partner about whether he or she wants to do this or uh, I need to I need to talk to my banker about that. And how would you do that? Oh, I need to send them an email. Great. And then, by the way, will that finish whatever this is about? Uh, no, 
I really need to put this to bed. I need to resolve whether we can actually do this or not, or actually make sure it happens or whatever. Great. So now you got an action, you got a project. Fabulous. Welcome to getting things done. You have to define <laughs> what does done mean and what does doing look like and where does it happen? Those do not show up by themselves. You actually have to create those. I don't care how much artificial intelligence, I don't care how much the digital world is trying to coax you into believing they're going to help you do this. They're not. They're going to give you decision support, but they're, they're not going to make those decisions. They're not going to decide what the final outcome is that you really need to commit to. They're not going to decide exactly what you need to do about mom's birthday or hiring the VP. They're not going to decide that. You have to do that. But those are, it's a cognitive thought process that GTD identified that you actually have to apply. Now, you can apply it immediately. If you already are familiar with this, you can do, you just say, oh, that's a great way to think about an email. That's a great way to think about this opportunity or this challenge that just presented itself. But you actually, it's a cognitive muscle you actually have to train. You have to identify yourself with what that game is, what's the thought process you need to apply, but you don't need any new tech to do that. Everybody wants the new new that think they're going to solve it in terms of tech. <laughs> All they're going to do is rearranging complete piles of unclear stuff again. That's a fascinating piece, David. And I would like to tackle that because a huge amount of the entrepreneurs I've met over the years are incredibly smart and they're always looking for the edge. And what I mean by that is they want the latest system, the latest email system, the latest way to get things done. And they're always looking for the edge. And is there actually an edge or do we just need to go back to the simple way of thinking and do the work and crank it out? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. You need to go back to the the simple, but I'll use the word rigorous. Not you know, again. I'm so lazy. I hate the word rigorous, but this very <laughs> the very specific <laughs> thinking process. When you open that email, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, oh, here's another, uh, and then you close it up and you add it to your stacks. <laughs> Well, you open it up, you go, huh, and close it up again. <laughs> well, no light at the end of that tunnel, especially if you've got huge volume and velocity of stuff coming at you, right? So what's the thought process you should make about that email you just opened up? Wait a minute. Is that something I need to do something about? Is it, you know, If not, delete it or reference it. Just park it somewhere. I, don't, I just want to refer to it later if I need it. Or stage it to, let me review that again in three weeks and put in some sort of tickler or reminder system. Then in three weeks, you see it again. If it is actionable, oh, yeah, I've got to do something about that. Wait, what's your next step? Oh, God, you know, I guess I ought to call my sister and see what she thinks. Yeah, great. Okay, now you got an action. And by the way, about call your sister about what? Oh, yeah, mom's birthday. Okay. And then where are you going to park a reminder about calling your sister and a reminder about finishing mom's birthday if you haven't, you know, done that yet or if you can't do it immediately? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, I know. That's a good idea. I should probably have a list. No kidding. So <laughs> this cognitive thought process is, pardon my duh, but <laughs> this is not a new technology or some new foreign language you got to learn, guys. This is about how do I think about something appropriately so I appropriately engage with it. And that's what GTD identified. And that's the uniqueness of it is really the applying that. And you can apply that right now. You know, anybody listening to this right now, get off of this or right now, just take your pen and paper. Hope God knows. Hope you have one. If you don't, shame on you. Slap you around. Write down two or three things. And then, wait a minute. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? have I decided the next step? No. Okay, I should do that. And you'll you're going to get traction right now. You never knew you had. And it's simply by applying an appropriate thought process and an appropriate set of practices 
you know, to identify and capture those things. So they're in some place so your brain can let it go. Yeah, you don't need tech to get productive. I think that's the risk there is people who keep on looking for the latest technological solution. The risk is that's walking that fine line of procrastination, right? There is no app that is going to look at your email and analyze what next actions are in there and flash them red and then automatically go do them for you. <laughs> that app doesn't exist. And even if it does, I don't think it's going to make you more productive. And so I think you got to kind of get off the, a lot of people are looking for technological edges, but they forget that some of the sources of edge and competitive advantage are going to come from their own self-management and the way they handle incoming actions. And one of the things that, that I think really has a great benefit, and one of the things that's really always helped me with, with GTD, is it gets you kind of out of reactive mode. Oh my gosh, I you know, mom's birthday is now tomorrow. Whereas if I've done a careful weekly review over the last couple of weeks, I've seen it coming at me. I've, I've already figured out what I'm going to do about it. So you always have that choice. You can do things when they show up in your world, or you can wait until they blow up, right? Which is better and which is less painful. I'll do some creative exceptions to what Peter just said in terms of technology. Basically, I, I agree with him. You know, the tech's not going to help. If you get GTD, any tech will work. I, I know huge GTD fans that use Excel. I know them that use Words List. I know them that use the 300 apps that are out there that have been built on GTD. And they're basically just list managers. But there were two things that did change my productivity, word processors and spreadsheets. Trust me, get rid of your word processor and your spreadsheet and what happens to your life. You guys are going to die. <laughs> Those things were critical. 85% of the businesses are run on Excel, right? And how many documents, how many blogs, how many books are written using a word processor, right? Those changed the game. Not much since. Because the only thing technology's done from my perspective, and again, I'm kind of old and cranky right now, but the only thing that's really changed is speed and, and volume, you know, and accessibility. And basically, you're now connected to so many things that are coming across very fast and a huge volume of that, right? And that's the difference that technology has made. So again, technology has way outstripped our cognitive ability to deal with it. Just before I ask the next question, David, one of the things you said was uh, for the people listening this, if they were to stop listening now and go and get a tiny flash of what GTD can do for them, they would go and write down what's got their attention, work out what the outcome is they want, and then write the next action down. Would that be a good place for them to go and stop listening now and go and do that? Absolutely. It'll change their life. If they reverse engineer how that happened, see how different they feel between now and between having done that. And watch how much more psychic space they have how much more cognitive ability they have to be think creatively about it and the creative ideas that will show up in the process of even making those decisions. Mm. So go do that now. Go do that now and then come back. <laughs> do come back. Yeah, though. we'll just tell jokes for the next five minutes until yeah. they come back, right? Yeah, hit, hit pause but not stop. How's that? <laughs> and actually, the question that I've had in my mind since something you said earlier, there's so many podcasts out there that – Talk about motivation, getting amped up, discipline, enthusiasm, grinding, hustling. We've got all these words, David, for like, we have to work and bash through it and fight it and grind it every day. Like, what's your opinions on all of that stuff and motivation, grind and hustle versus your mind like water and flowing through things and 
I have to say, your way of doing things sounds a lot more attractive than the grinding and hustling every morning. But what are your thoughts on those two things? I just say stop, relax. Come on, guys. The world is not overwhelmed. Look, it's fine. It's doing just well. You know, I'm looking at my window right now and I see some clouds going by and kind of nice, sunny this afternoon in Amsterdam. It's not confused. It's not overwhelmed. It just is what it is. The only reason we're feeling overwhelmed or anything off about our life is because we're not appropriately engaged with where we've invested our attention and our energy. And so I just figured out how do I do that so I get clear about where I've invested my energy and my attention so they're not distracting me. That makes sense? It makes complete sense. How do I go about and do it? Yeah. And so back to your question about motivation and, and get I'm I'm not a motivational speaker. I sleep as long as I can. I love sleep. <laughs> you know? I try to do as little as I can to get stuff done that I want to get done. That's how I came up with GTD. People meet me, they go, God, you're nothing like what I thought you were going to be. They thought I was going to be anal retentive, you know, buttoned down, A-type corporate kind of guy. And I'm one of the looser guys you'll ever meet in terms of just following my intuitive hunches, planning as little as I get by with, and just doing what I feel like doing. I just came up with GTD so I could do that. I find that fascinating. So how do those two things work? Like, how do I button down my processes and get all my projects out? Does that help me relax? Because they feel like the opposite. Yeah. You know, the first part of the process, you know, when we actually coach people one-on-one desk side, applying this methodology is a capture process. We have people actually just unload their head with everything that has their attention. I need cat food. I need a vice president of marketing. I need to figure out whether we should adopt or not. I need to figure out whether I should divorce or not. We get all that if they're willing to, you know, unload it. And, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the first process we do is simply an unloading process or just an identifying process of the stuff that has people's attention. And so, yeah, that is something people often resist because they don't want to deal with their reality. And I don't tell people what they should have their attention on. I just ask them what does. So by the way, anybody listening to this, now we've been talking for a good you know, half hour almost. I'll bet any of you listening to this have had your mind go somewhere that has nothing to do with what Alan and Peter and I have been talking about. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. Now, whether you wanted to keep listening to us or just decide, hey, that's something else I'd rather think about than listening to these guys, that's up to you. But for the most part, wherever your mind went is something you're not appropriately engaged with yet. So if that's me, by the way, I have it right now. I have a pen and paper. I have a little pad right on my desk where, because God knows what might show up in my head while the three of us are talking, but I'm ready to capture that right then, right? And then I'm going to throw that little note in my entry, my physical entry sitting in my face. And then once we get off of this, I'm going to decide what the heck am I going to do with that? Is that a real thing? Was that just a crazy idea? I don't know. So that's the key. And it doesn't take long. You can do it right now. And I think that's a fantastic way to do it. And actually, one of the things that really struck me, I can't remember where I heard you say it, David, but you said, never trust someone who doesn't write something down. And that stuck with me massively through my business career. And I go into a meeting and someone says, yes, they'll do it. And they don't write it down. And I know it's not going to happen. Well, let's talk about cognitive science. I discovered that 35 years ago, but I didn't have a scientific way to validate that, only just experiential. And then in the last decade, there are volumes of work that's been done in cognitive science research now that the maximum number of things your head can hold inside of itself, if you're using your head as your office, 
is four before you start to lose cognitive ability. They've proven this. If you're trying to keep track of more than four things in your head, and that's the only place you're keeping track of them, and you don't trust, you know, you have some external system that will remind you of the right person at the right time about it, then you're going to be diminishing your ability to be strategic, creative, you know, and fully present with whatever you're doing. Now, don't shoot the messenger, guys. I'm just telling you what I discovered experientially, and the methodology, you know, came a lot out of that. It's called externalize the stuff. Your head is a crappy office. And most people are still trying to use their head to remember, remind, prioritize, and manage relationships between not just four things, how about 400? You know, and I also let, let me frame this for you guys too. You know, over the last two or three years, I've discovered that overwhelm is probably not the issue. If you were mm. truly overwhelmed, either you guys, you're building something caught on fire, you're going to feel eventually overwhelmed, but you'll handle it simply because the pressure will force you into outcome thinking and action engagement. It's when those kind of crises and fires stop, then all the demons at the gate come rushing through. How many things could I be doing now? What could I do about this? And it creates, in a sense, the stress of opportunity. How many options of things should I be doing right now? Oh, come on. You know, Alan, your audience of entrepreneurs, potential entrepreneurs, you know, that's one of the biggest issues is how many of the, should I be wearing the banker hat? Should I be wearing the party hat? Should I be wearing the engagement hat? Should I be wearing the... You know, the tech hat should be, and the, the at least 42 hats any entrepreneur has to wear until they've hired all the people they trust that can handle those pieces. You know, that's going to be totally overwhelming to them. It's not so much overwhelm as what I refer to as ambient anxiety. Now, the ambient anxiety can take on, you know, more or less factors, but it's that stuff that wakes you up at three o'clock in the morning. Oh my God, I forgot to, oh, you know, what if, or what should I? Ah, oh, you know, I need to. And it's the ambient anxiety that is creating a whole lot of the stress. But And the problem is that you can't find the single source for it. See, overwhelmed, you could probably find a source for that, you know, and try to deal with it or survive or, or get out of it. It's the ambient anxiety that just wanders around and lurks on you and starts to suck wind out of your sails. I'm not sure if I should. What about all these things? What about all those things? What about all those things? What about all those things? And that's people that are trying to manage their life in their head, you know, and it doesn't work. So what should I use my head for and what shouldn't I use my head for? Because <laughs> I feel like there's so many things I could do with it. Mm -hmm. What do I rely on my brain for and what do I know it's not good at? Get it clear and see where it goes and follow your hunches. You want to learn to paint? You want to go play the flute? You want to go play words with friends on a computer? You want to go cook spaghetti? You want to go write a new business plan? Up to you. You know, that's where once you get clear enough, then you can decide, okay, what do I pay attention to in terms of the, my internal voices that are telling me what to do or what I should do or what I could do? And I don't have an answer to that. Only you do. I would just say what you need to do is get clear enough so that some part of you can listen to that still small voice, whether that comes from your soul, your spirit, your liver, your, your gut, or whatever that, that still small <laughs> voice is, and start to listen and pay attention to it. And by the way, that'll take you several years to learn which voice is the one to trust. So sorry, I, I, I don't have a simpler answer than that, but that is my answer. I love your answer. Uh, <laughs> it's completely thrown me, but I love the answer. Uh, Andrew, delete the fact that I was completely thrown. Um, no, Andrew, keep it in. <laughs> Keep it in. Alan needs to be thrown <laughs> once in a while. Keep it in. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, guys. Wait a minute. Alan, come on. How are you deciding what to ask me next? It's not on your script. No, it was not on my script. 
how do you decide? My general thought process for the podcast is what will help my listeners make the most progress. Right. And that was kind of what my head was struggling to to get to the next question, whilst also dealing right. with your last well, sentence. Well, wait a minute. If you, you guys want to let me reverse engineer this. Okay. You had an outcome. So you'd sort of hardwired your intuitive intelligence. That's why I said you don't have time to think. You need to have already thought. So the fact that you had already thought about what you wanted out of this, then how did you decide in the moment what thing to do? Well, it was driven by at some point you had some sort of an outcome. And so, yeah, you might have accessed it for a second. You said, okay, well, well, wait, but I doubt that you did. You just had that internalized as a thing that you wanted to be, be able to do. And then you trusted some sort of intuitive intelligence and said, oh, wait a minute, here's what I want to ask. Yeah. So in a way, I live my life by what I want to do at the moment. You just did too. Interesting. So how do I clear space? Like, well, we're going back to the system, aren't we? I've, I've answered my own question. How do you clear space to do that? You need to get everything out of your head. Eh, 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 eh. It's not a system. It's a systematic approach. And I say that because everybody goes, oh, well, that's a system. Right? That's too structured or whatever. No, it's just an approach. It's a systematic way to approach stuff. And then you build your own systems and you'll change those systems as your life changes. I have too. But the approach has stayed the same. What is this? What am I going to do about it? Where does that need to go? So I just got, I was into the ultimate reduction of what you need to do as a behavior and as a thought process to engage with your life and to get things off your mind so you can be present with whatever you're doing and also get stuff done. And I think that's the key to implementing both GTD, but also to being effective as an entrepreneur is the most recent book by James Clear, right? Atomic Habits. People are talking about taking, breaking down, finding very small habits, building on them, doing habit stacking and all that stuff. And there's a set of behaviors and habits that you can develop as you start looking at the methodology you can start to develop these behaviors and habits. I'll give a couple of examples, but David probably has a lot more, which is, for example, one of the things to train yourself in is identify a commitment when it happens, right? Some are pretty obvious. Your wife or husband asks you, hey, please pick up a, a liter of milk uh, at the store before you come home. That's something you could, if you forget, there's a downside. If, if you're smart, you capture that and make sure it happens. <laughs> and you can decide what, how the outcome of that one's going to work. That, those are easy to spot. The more subtle ones are when you get an, a, a three-page long email and you have to train yourself to say, oh. what am I committed to? What am I being asked to do? What now has come onto my radar as a result of that? And then don't just ignore the email. Don't stick it back in the inbox. Look at that. What are the next actions? And write them down. Strip them out of the email. Identify them. Process them in your own head. And then get those into some sort of trusted capture system that you know you're going to come back to. So I think one of the atomic habits is identifying commitments when they happen. The second is remembering that commitments come from a whole bunch of different places. And the other behavior is to write them down. And if the commitment's going to take more than one step to, to complete, then that's where you put it on a project list. Those are really simple behaviors. But you start, what you get is that emergent collective value and power of practicing those small atomic behaviors over and over. Well said, Peter. Yeah. There are probably other ones. What other ones would you think, David, would be kind of the, the fundamental atomic habits of building yourself into a, into this methodology? Well, Catherine, anything that has your attention whenever and wherever it has your attention. Your best thoughts about your business are not going to happen at work. They're going to happen on the beach or on the golf course or buying bread at the store. 
So you better have a capture tool. So get that stuff out of your head as soon as it occurs to you. That takes most serious, significantly invested adults two years to change that habit. I'm not kidding. So I don't want to discourage anybody. It'll help you right away. If, if you don't have a capture tool, create one and start writing things down. Start to get those things initially out of your head anyway. And then you, you need to go through those processes to do it. You know, if I were to say, if I were to reduce it down, it's called capture. Decide next actions and projects if you're willing to go that far and have some sort of a trusted system to park reminders of those things. But the main thing is to capture the stuff, even the subtle stuff that has your attention. Well, I don't know if we want to hire a consultant about that. Well, what's your, you know, what are you going to do? I don't know. Well, if I'm going to pay you a million bucks to move on that, what would you do? Hmm, I guess I need to talk to my partner. I need to surf the web. I need to draft some ideas. I don't know. But see, you haven't finished your thinking about stuff. So hmm. decide what is the stuff you're thinking about? What are the things that have your attention? And then how do you need to finish your thinking about that? Not to finish the thing, but to finish your thinking enough to say, what's the next thing I need to do? You don't have to have the answer. You know, I got tons of projects that I've had called R&D, called look into whether we should hire, <laughs> whether I should, whatever. And the next step, hmm. I need to surf the web about X or I need to talk to my wife about X or whatever. So training yourself into that thought process, does it? you could do that now. It's just most people haven't trained themselves to make that an automatic response as a behavior. You know, back to your point about the atomic habits, that is an atomic habit like crazy. Yeah. You implement that, it'll change your life. Yeah. I think another one, David, is the weekly review. The idea that once a week you need to sit down and invest in looking at all of the commitments that you've already got and figure out which ones you've done and figure out which new ones have, have come up. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. more about how you would do a weekly review? Well, first of all, Peter, you nailed it. I, I only got the two to capture and clarify, but my third was going to be exactly what you just said. And we just discovered over the years that I've been doing this, that, that seven days seems to be a good cycle. You know, And then I read somewhere along the line, somebody had done some research that your brain after about seven or eight days, your brain does a control alt delete and kind of tends to dump, you know, context or memory about <laughs> anything, right? So if you can, at least within the week, come on, everybody listening to this has had stuff show up in the last two or three or four days that you you know you got to do something about. You don't know what, yeah, you know, but you haven't had time to sit down and think it through or what you're committed to or what you need to do about it. But at some point, you better not let that go longer than about seven days. And at the end of that seven-day period, you need to go back through and that reflect on what just happened. What have I not captured yet? What have I not clarified yet? What have I not organized yet about stuff that's alive and well? So you don't need to do this every day. Actually, there were times in my life, not often, but there were times where I had to do something like a weekly review every day because I was so bombarded with so many different changes and important ones that were going on hour mm. by hour that I had to I get down into something and handle it. And then I did come back up and go, where the hell am I? and look around and see a larger context. But at least once a week, for most people, given the professional world most people are in these days, that has seemed to be, that's why we sort of labeled it the weekly review and made that so important, because it is. It's probably the operational review that's most lacking and most needed out there, you know, especially for yes. entrepreneurs. Once a week, you better say, God, what just friggin' happened this week? <sighs> okay, where does that go? And what do I need to do about that? And what do I need to get myself back current again so you can actually spend time with your kids on the weekend or spend time meditating or drinking great wine or whatever you do on the weekends when you say, can I just shut that world off? You can't shut that world off by mindfulness, guys. You only shut that world off by 
doing what we've been talking about, capturing it, clarifying it, deciding what you need to do and where it needs to go, parking the reminder someplace you trust you'll see. Then you get to relax and be buried back to Peter, the first sentence of my book, <laughs> what you referred to. But it's not free. It's not free, but it's not hard. So before I sort of wrap up and ask both of you, Peter and David, what your advice to the audience is, I've got one sort of last question that you're probably not asked that much, David. And the question is, you've built a very successful consultancy. You've written incredibly successful books. You've built a phenomenal business. What would your advice be to new entrepreneurs who want to get out and build a side hustle and build a business or start a consultancy? What would your advice business-wise be? First of all, it's not business-wise, it's marketing-wise and (laughs) self-awareness-wise. And that's be authentic. Just be who you are. Reflect who you are. Now, look, over times, there were times where I had to pretend, not pretend, but I had to image myself as a much bigger business than I was because I was selling to big corporate clients and they didn't want to know that I was just a three-person little small consultancy, right? So I had to kind of look like I was much more corporate or whatever. Sure. Tactical. Why not? At some point, people are going, wait a minute, you're not being really authentic because what you're really producing is a whole lot of value that's way beyond what this kind of kind of time management thing is. And so we had to sort of restructure our imaging and so forth and be more, much more relaxed, much more who we all were. And so I've been through a whole process career-wise about looking and showing up more authentic to who I really was. I didn't have to change who I was, but more, hey, take it or leave it, guys. Here's who I am and here's how we do this and why we do this. I'm not trying to pretend that's more than what it is. Now, initially, you got to kind of dress for success. You got to kind of dress it up and be as much as you want to be in that way. But ultimately, keep authenticity in mind as a very important background to what you do, because people will recognize that. The authenticity of Bernie Sanders' memes of his mittens that are going around (laughs) the world right now was just so cool. You couldn't have designed that any other way than somebody was just authentic. He was authentic. Somebody was authentically saying, this is really cool. And suddenly, you know, this thing showed up around the world. So you never know what that, there's no crystal ball that's going to tell you whether the things will work or not. But the authenticity of it is, I think, a key element. And I think the other thing is just obviously implementing any of this stuff. Where do you guys want to be? And how would you allocate or reallocate your resources to make it happen? Getting things done is about defining what done means and what doing looks like. But what done means, it's very important that you get that in mind. What does done mean? But not just in terms of financial, could be, and and sure, fine to have that as well, but it could also be, how do I want to be experiencing my life and relationships and my career and my engagement with life? What turns you on? What floats your boat? You know, what's your fantasy involved in that? What are the aspects of that fantasy that you say, you know, I could probably get those aspects with something I could do pretty soon and right now. No kidding. So somehow identify or keep in mind, at least informally, what are the things that are really matter to you? And then what's the vision of wild success out there? Nothing wrong with that. So, you know, any and all of those things, it very dependent on your, your personal situation, your personality, what motivates you, your, your DNA, I guess, your signature, about what you're doing in life. But the more you're aware of any of those things is going to help. Sorry, I I rambled on, Alan. Sorry, but (laughs) those are the things that came to mind. It was a fantastic answer because that's one of the things I speak about regularly is just because you want life to be that way 
and someone else says, well, that's not a business or that's not what it is, or you shouldn't do that. doesn't mean you can't just make it happen anyway. So when you said what turns you on, what floats your boat, what's your fantasy, what's your vision? I'd be challenging everyone listening to this podcast to think about those things, turn it into a project, make it a next action and start creating their dream life. And by the way, let me coach everybody. You probably won't get whatever goal you set because you're only setting your goal right now from where you are right now. But you're going to be you're going to be smarter tomorrow. You're going to be more mature tomorrow. But that's okay. That goal you set, you need to move toward that. You need to engage. You know the Top Gun movie, Tom Cruise. Okay. Engage, engage, Maverick, engage, engage. So pick a goal and make sure you're appropriately engaged with it, but be willing to change that because as you start moving to that goal, you're going to start to see, wait a minute, look over there. That's mm-hmm. cool. I think that's more what I want and what I want to have than that initial goal. But you couldn't have seen that if you had not been moving on your initial goal. So there are many of my goals I never achieved. I just use them as levers to get me more mature and more experienced to then see what I really wanted. So I kind of have slid into my life, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense, but you have to have something to go towards. Absolutely. It makes complete sense. You just start with something, go towards it, and if it changes, move towards the next one. And yeah, I've heard they're going to do Top Gun 2 coming out this year or next year, David, (laughs) so I'm quite excited about that. Maverick, yeah. Engage, engage, engage. engage. I will be there. (laughs) Really? Uh, Peter, do you have any closing thoughts for the audience? Yeah, my advice to anybody who's starting the entrepreneurial journey would be to abandon the idea of time management because time isn't the problem and you're not going to get yourself that much farther along by focusing on saving a few minutes here and there. Start to think instead, instead of time management, think of self-management. How are you going to manage yourself? How are you going to operate in a sustainable way going forward to open up those opportunities and The way you operate is going to determine how well your business executes. Are you going to be the bottleneck? Are you going to be causing the issues that the customer isn't getting the response they're looking for? Because there's a risk that you could be the bottleneck. And your business is going to be a reflection of your values and how well you manage yourself. So don't skip that step. Focus on self-management at the outset of the journey. And I think the journey itself just becomes better. And as you always say, Alan, you don't want to do things that aren't fun. And so an entrepreneurial journey where you don't feel overwhelmed and you can think clearly with a clear head, it just makes the journey that much better. It does. And if we're not having fun along the way, why are we doing it? Because you can build a business doing anything. Pick something that's fun. Get out there. It's incredible what you can make money doing. And you have a much better chance of success if you've got all these things handled. David, what's the thing that people should go and do following our chat? Whatever their heart, their liver, their spirit says they should do. Well, I guess it depends what they've drunk the night before, if it's their liver talking to them. Yeah, I've never asked my liver (laughs) what to do next. (laughs) Whatever whatever body part you want, I don't know. I I don't know which body parts actually rank uh, in terms of giving input. There's several and they have different different voices, believe me. So... You know, I'm I'm into do what you feel like doing, folks. But then who's listening and who's talking? You know, those become back to your point, Peter, about the self-management. But again, 
guys, don't get so wrapped up in, I got to go make myself a perfect person. I have to go take a motivational seminar. I have to do all that stuff. Just do these simple little things. If any of you heard, I guess, Alan, you guys interviewed Robert Peake, you know, big champ, you know, huge friend of mine and, and longtime, you know, engagement with me as a, as a friend and, and colleague, you know, with this stuff. You know, you don't have to go motivate yourself. Just go clean your toilet and see how good you feel. <laughs> Just go clean your drawer. Just go do something where you start to get yourself engaged with appropriate engagement with the things that have your attention and then watch what happens. See, a lot of people shouldn't, I think, shouldn't set goals. They need to clean their bathroom or they need to clean up their computer or they need to you know, do these other things. If your day-to-day -day is out of control, very hard and very difficult to then invest yourself into longer range thinking. So what you want to do is get clear as best you can, as quick as you can. So to both Alan and Peter's point, so you can focus on the cool stuff. I love that. So if you're listening to this, go get the decks clean, go get ready, and then we can move on to the really fun stuff. David Allen, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your wisdom and ideas with all of us. I really appreciate it. You can find out lots more about David at gettingthingsdone.com. You can see all his courses and his books, and I really do recommend them. They're fantastic. Yeah. David, thank you. My pleasure, Alan. And thanks. And lovely to chat with you again, Peter. Yeah. Thanks, David. Yeah. And Peter, thank you so much for being on the show and bringing your wisdom and ideas and helping us to make this happen. It's fantastic to have you with us. Thanks, Alan. The Rebel Entrepreneur is an amazing podcast and just a, a great addition to the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So thank you for what you do. It's my pleasure. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.